everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast sponsored by Sibling Revelry Brewing. I'm Dan Lobby. And I'm Mary Kay Cabot. And we are here to talk about the Browns' decision on Monday to sign Kareem Hunt, uh, the former Chiefs running back, of course, a, a local uh, a local player who played at Willoughby South. Uh, but of course, the real story here is what happened at that downtown Cleveland hotel uh, almost a year ago to the day. It was a year ago and a day uh, before the Browns actually signed him. The video came out on November 30th. TMZ released it. Uh, from there, things moved very quickly that day. We were just recalling it yesterday, Mary Kay. Um, Kareem Hunt went on the commissioner's exemplist and then was cut, and he has not had an NFL job until the Browns signed him on Monday. So we're going to talk about this in two parts. Uh, We're going to talk about the decision to sign Hunt, uh, but we are going to spend a little bit of time on the football side too, because that is a part of this story. Um, But for now, you know, we're going to keep those things separate and we're going to start with the the decision to sign Hunt. So, um, you know, I wrote a column off of, uh, after we talked to John Dorsey and he had two separate press sessions and you know, I basically said in my mind, this is the Browns prioritizing football and winning over everything else. Um, they're bringing in Kareem Hunt because he's a great football player. And all the other stuff about, you know, his remorsefulness and all of that. Look, if he wasn't as good a player as he is, the Browns wouldn't have brought him in. The Browns wouldn't have taken this chance. Um, I think it says something about where this team is prioritizing things. I'm not real thrilled that they made this move this quickly after this, this video came out. Um, I've been lectured on social media about second chances, and certainly guys do deserve second chances, but in my mind, this video was out two months ago. This guy's been in counseling, anger management for two months. I just felt like if you were going to make this decision, you could let it play out a little bit, and maybe somebody in that building should have raised their hand and said, you know, I don't know if this is a good idea right now. And you know what? I've given this a lot of thought over the last 24 hours, Dan. And my first reaction was very similar to what you're saying, that why now? Why do this? It's going to be a distraction and all of those sorts of things. But And I'm going to be writing a column about this uh, today as well, too. It's not up yet. Uh, But I, I really wanted to think about this for a while and talk to some people about it. And I've kind of changed my mind about how I'm looking at it right now. Once again, we do know for sure that John Dorsey is bringing Kareem Hunt onto the football team because he's an immense talent and he can really help this football team win games. Then I started to think about the other aspect of it. We can all agree that what happened in the hotel was a horrible thing. He shoved a woman, had to be restrained uh, from shoving her. She hit her head against the wall, and when she was down, he kicked her. He's apologized for that. That doesn't mean he's atoned for it yet or that he's paid his consequences or anything like that yet. Uh, But I think we can all agree that that was egregious, the way that uh, John Dorsey described it. But I also believe that people do deserve second chances. And the more I've looked into his background and thought about Kareem Hunt, I've realized that he really has come from uh, a very challenging upbringing, uh, that things were not modeled for him in the way that they're modeled for uh, for a lot of other children in this country. He just did not have good role models. His father, Kareem Hunt, I don't know if it's senior or whatever, but it's also Kareem Hunt. Uh, his father has now been arrested 36 times, has been sentenced to nine years uh, in prison, has been convicted of nine felonies, and 
you know, it just was not, and mostly on drug-related charges, but some domestic violence, too, according to court records. And this came out in a USA Today story that was done in December. And when I look at all of that uh, and all the other members of his family, many members of his family, including, uh, you know, half-brothers, uncles, cousins, there, there just were not a lot of good, really good male role models that could show him how things are done. I actually think it's almost surprising in some way that he's gotten to the point that he has without getting into far more serious trouble and having way more incidents like this. So my feeling on it now is uh, if John Dorsey really believes, and he does, that this young man deserves a second chance, uh, I believe believe that he deserves a second chance too, but only, only if he's willing to do a lot of things in the community, go to anger management, go to alcohol management, talk to kids in schools, talk to women's groups, uh, atone for his mistakes, uh, find out from the victim what she would like done uh, that would help uh, make up for it. Now, of course, you're never going to make up for that, but what would she like him to do to show that this is never going to happen again? And Here's why I feel this way. If he becomes a really productive member of this Northeast Ohio community, his hometown, if he goes out and actually helps children, especially young young boys, young girls in this community, realize that they don't have to go out and do bad things, that they can come from bad situations, but that they can turn their lives around as well. If he changes lives, if he helps people instead of hurting them, I think he can become a community asset instead of a community liability. Yeah, and, and you know, those are all great points. And that's sort of what, you know, a part of this I wonder. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I didn't think to ask this yesterday until after we were done with John Dorsey. A part mm-hmm. of me wonders if, you know, he sees this as throwing Kareem Hunt a lifeline, in mm-hmm. a sense, as because he, he knows him. He went to the pre-draft process with him. Right. Um, if, if he sees this as an opportunity... He talks about his faith a lot. John Dorsey does. He talks about second chances a lot. Uh, you know, we, we went through this all with Antonio Callaway last year when the Browns uh, picked him. Uh, of course, you, I, I actually went back and looked at a lot of what was what they were saying after they drafted Tyreek Hill, uh, him and Andy Reid. Um, a lot of similar notes getting mm-hmm. getting played, and, and I do wonder if a part of this mm-hmm. uh, was John Dorsey throwing Kareem Hunt a lifeline. Now, again. If Kareem Hunt is just a run-of-the-mill back, if he's a Carlos Hyde-type back or someone like that, I don't know that John Dorsey is doing this. And, and I don't know if the, the Browns' ownership and, and other people in that front office are as willing uh, to take this on. A lot of it has to do with the talent Kareem Hunt has. And, and that just kind of goes back, I think, to, to what I was thinking last night when I wrote my column. Mm-hmm. This is, at its heart, a football move designed to help this team win. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if it ends up helping Kareem Hunt turn into a productive member of society, or, yeah, I mean, he's already is a productive member of society, but it helps him kind of avoid situations like this happening again. Great. But it, it's just hard for me to look at this as anything other than a kind of prioritizing football and winning and the steps this team wants to take over, you know, maybe taking a stand for, for something bigger. Yeah, and I, I do totally understand uh, what you're saying there, and there's a lot of validity to that. Uh, I just started, and of course, there is no arguing that this would not be happening unless he was a star football player. Because 
for the most part, John Dorsey doesn't really try to add football players to a football team that aren't going to be really good. Yeah. So, you know, that, that, that kind of goes without saying that he, if he is going to take a chance on a player, uh, whether he has issues or not, it's going to be somebody that he thinks can be a really good star football player for his football team. But let's say, for instance, that nobody picked him up and Kareem Hunt is living here in Cleveland and he doesn't have the resources, he doesn't have the support, he doesn't have any of the things that he's going to have now that he's with the Cleveland Browns. And he's out there, nobody wants to touch him, although I think somebody would have eventually. You know, what if, because he doesn't, hasn't had a great upbringing or a lot of great, great role models in his life, what if he goes out and, you know, does something like this again? Um, and someone gets hurt. Maybe someone gets hurt worse than what happened the first time. Then, obviously, that's not good for for him, for anyone, for the victim, for anyone in, in this community. He is not an upstanding citizen in Cleveland or anywhere. What if, because of the resources that the NFL has, the Browns have, the help that he's going to get, what if he does turn himself around and nobody else gets hit? And what if he becomes a really good, fine, young man, human being, who kind of changes the pattern of his life and all of the family members in his life that so many of them right now are still in prison. A lot of them just got out of prison. Uh, You know, what if he changes the cycle? You know, what if he turns that around? What if he walks into a middle school and and changes... Uh, the thought patterns or the lives or the behavior of, you know, 25 kids every year? What if he is a model citizen in this community and and really helps a lot, a lot of people, not just, you know, not just kids, but, you know, even adults and, and other people? What if what if that happens? Yeah, I mean, ho- hopefully that's that's where this ends up, right? Hopefully three years from now, we're, we're sitting down and writing the story that, hey, Kareem Hunt turned his life around. This incident happened. Um, he almost lost his football life. Um, you know, those are always complicated. I hate to use the word redemption stories, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's what we're talking about two or three years from now. Uh, and, and look, I think that's the hope. Even if you're angry about this signing or you don't like this signing and you, and you don't like what the signing says about the Browns as a team, the hope is that that's what we're saying a few years from now. Everyone wants Kareem Hunt, including John Dorsey, including Freddie Kitchens, everybody involved in that organization. Everybody wants Kareem Hunt to thrive as a person. And, of course, the Browns want him to thrive as a football player. But, um, you know, we all want this to be different for him moving forward. No, no No one is rooting for Kareem Hunt to fail right now. Right, and I think the other thing to remember in this is the fact that this is not the first time John Dorsey has been through this. He took a huge risk on Tyreek Hill in Kansas City. And Tyreek Hill had, at that point, been convicted of choking and and punching repeatedly his then-pregnant girlfriend. Now, that's a huge risk to take. There was no video of it, but, uh, you know, that that is egregious. Yeah. As is this, of course. But, um, you know, John Dorsey took that chance. And Tyreek Hill has completed three years of anger management. Uh, He's done extensive community service. He has really worked hard to turn his life around. He's actually engaged now 
to, or maybe they even have gotten married by now, but in September, uh, he got engaged to the mother of his, his son. He's trying to be a, a better, a good man for his son. And he's, you know, he's gone on to be a very, very good football player and also a very good human being since that horrific incident. Yeah, I mean, it was it was an ugly situation with Hill. And, and actually, um, shortly after that all happened, um, that year at the Combine, I actually wrote a big story about, like, character and, and how teams sort of view character and, and judge players uh, from a character standpoint. And, and that was sort of a big part of it. And, you know, one of the tricky things of it all is here's this guy that did this really terrible thing, um, and now he comes to Kansas City. He's a big piece of what they do. And you can't even find the guy's jersey at the team shop. You know, I mean, it's it's a really complicated place to put your fan base in. I think when you do something like this, um, it, it, it's complicated for everyone involved. Um, and the other reality of this, and, and this is the reality of sports in the NFL, if you take a stand and win three games, you're not going to have a job anymore. If you take a chance on a guy and win 10, 11 games every year, you're going to make a lot of money in this league, and and that's that's really what the NFL is about, and and that's that's why a guy like Kareem Hunt, that's why a guy like Tariq Hill, uh, the Joe Mixon, that's why these guys get these opportunities because they're really good and they can help you win football games. Yeah, and I I do believe I've heard it, I've seen it written, I've heard it said that John Dorsey doesn't care about character and that he adds. Uh, questionable guys onto football teams. Well, that's one way to look at it. But as you mentioned before, he's a very faithful human being. He's a very devout Catholic, and he believes that people do, uh, people can change, that they do deserve second chances. So I, I'm, I choose to, to look at it that way, that he's trying to, uh, you know, give guys an opportunity to turn their lives around. And, uh, and we shall see. I mean, obviously, like you said, it's very, very new. And I even asked him yesterday, what, you know, what is the research on how long it takes for someone to rehabilitate uh, from, you know, from an incident like this? And he said he didn't really know, and maybe there isn't any hard and fast research on that. Uh, but it's going to be a work in progress. And when he said he had a zero tolerance policy, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he said he had a zero tolerance policy... I don't think that this means that if Kareem Hunt runs a stop sign or turns right on red and gets a ticket, that John Dorsey's going to cut him. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think this means that they will not tolerate any other instances of, of violence or assault or things like that. Yeah, because there, there were two other instances, yeah. um, not of this nature where he shoved and, and kicked a woman, but the, there were two other instances, um, I believe both at nightclubs, um, and, and situations that you get concerned about. Um, is this guy going to go out on a Friday night and get baited into something? Um, you, you know, you, you worry about things like that. And those are, I'm with you on that. I think those are the types of instances, you know, outside of something like a, a DUI or something like that. We're talking serious, serious things you know, as opposed to maybe going 50 and a 35 or, or something right. like that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I do think that there's there's concern there because of those two instances. There's concern there because of this. And he's got to prove every single day, every single weekend, 
those long weekends when you're away from the team during the spring and then that month between uh, the mini camps and training camp. Those are going to be nervous times for John Dorsey and company. They are every year for every NFL team, but when you have players with histories like this, those are nervous times, and, and every single day is going to be a chance for Kareem Hunt to either prove that he can do this or show that he can't. Well, plus, Dan, he's home. He's home in his hometown where he's got his high school friends and other friends and family members around him, some of whom may not have been good influences on his life or in his decisions. And therefore, uh, he's going to probably have to change his friend group. He's going to have to be very, very careful about all of that. And the Browns are going to have to keep an eye on who he's with, where, you know, what he's doing. And it could be high maintenance for a while. It could also... Um, you know, it could also be a work in progress. The other component of this is, uh, you know, I've been told that he is, you know, they are taking a look at, you know, alcohol uh, awareness for him and that some of these incidents were alcohol related. So, you know, maybe it will be a mandate from the league that he has to abstain from alcohol. I don't know about that. Uh, but I know that that is part of this, that if they, uh, you know, if that they can keep him away from, Maybe, and I don't know if he's abusing alcohol or whatever the case may be, but if they can keep him away from alcohol-related incidents, and if he can take a look at all of that, then maybe some of these things will cease. Maybe that has been the common denominator in these three incidents. Um, okay, so let, let's move on and let's talk about the football side of this, because that's that's a topic in all of this, too. We can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. Um, Kareem Hunt was brought here to play football. Now, let's start with the league stuff. Mm-hmm. We don't know. There's going to be a suspension coming. Mm-hmm. We don't know how long it's going to be. It could be six games. It could be ten games. I don't think it would be a season-long suspension. Um, but last I saw, those two incidents that we mentioned along with this this video are all sort of under consideration by the NFL. Um, so this could end up being a lengthy suspension for Kareem Hunt. So even if he gets on the field this spring, gets on the field in, in the summer, the Browns might not see him on the field until mid-October, maybe November. It, it could be a while till he even gets a chance to play again. Well, you know what? Maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, considering he does have a lot of off-the-field work to do. As long as he can still be with the team and around the team, within the structure of the team, uh, if he's going to his anger management classes, doing his community service, going to whatever alcohol things they're requiring him to do, maybe not getting on the football field right away would actually be a good thing for him. He will have paid the consequences that uh, that he's going to be required to pay for what he did. And, uh, you know, he won't have maybe the pressures right away of football. And so maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, even if he is suspended for 10 games, uh, you know, maybe that's not horrible in terms of just having him focus on his recovery in other ways. Now, the other thing about this is, you know, I'm sure the Browns are taking the long-term view of this. He's 23 years old. Mm -hmm. He is 23 years old. That is very, very young in the NFL. And uh, they will retain his rights for the next how many ever years, and this gives them an opportunity to see how he's doing and see if they want to sign him to a a multi-year contract at some point. You know, if they wanted to have a chance at him to see if he could handle this and do this and turn his life around, they kind of had to sign him now because somebody was going to do it. There were other teams that were thinking about doing it. Uh, We've heard of maybe the Bears, maybe the Bills, and I I think the Browns realized that if they wanted to take the opportunity or the chance 
on him, they were going to have to do it now. Uh, yeah, turns 24 in August, so still a very young guy. He's already played two years in the league. Um, like you mentioned, um, it's a one-year deal. He would become a restricted free agent, so the Browns would control him then. If he doesn't, if he doesn't toll his league year, he'd be an early rights free agent. So, um, or I'm sorry, an exclusive rights mm-hmm. free agent. Right. Um, so the, the Browns would have control over the over his rights for at least two seasons. So that that was probably their thinking here um, as well. As far as how it affects the rest of that backfield, I think one of the kind of instant reactions when this announcement came was, huh, do the Browns really need another running back? Now, obviously, Kareem Hunt's not just another running back. When he's on the field, he's incredible. He can, uh, a great runner, can uh, multifaceted back, can catch the football. He's, he has almost 3,000 career yards from scrimmage. So this is a guy that, that really can do it all. Uh, but it was still a little bit of an odd an odd move considering the makeup of their backfield with the, the emergence of Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson already. Most people don't think he's getting the ball enough. It seemed a little bizarre. Well, if you look at his first season, he led the NFL in rushing yeah. as, as a rookie and made the Pro Bowl as a rookie. He was on his way to similar yards, production, and accolades, maybe even better uh, in this past season. So, therefore... When you look at him as a football player, he, he's a darn good football player. And you don't, when you have an opportunity to add players like that, you take that chance if you're a John Dorsey. Again, knowing all of the other things that go along with it, this is a young man who is a pretty darn amazing football player. So you can see why they did it. And, and Duke Johnson, you know, I mean, Duke Johnson probably isn't going to be with this team for, you know, how many ever years. He did sign a three-year extension last year, but, I mean, if they look at it as though Kareem Hunt can be uh, their change-up back and a guy that can catch passes out of the backfield and they can get a draft pick in exchange for Duke Johnson, who doesn't really run the ball for them, hardly at all, um, you know, I could see what their thinking is from a football standpoint. Yeah, and the other thing, going back to what we talked about, I don't think there's any rush any of this because like we said we don't even know when Kareem Hunt's going to be on the field so you know you're going to turn around and trade Duke Johnson tomorrow you know in March when the league year starts probably not because you're going to need guys um, to run the football catch the football out of the backfield do all the things these guys Mm -hmm. do um, that that you want Kareem Hunt to do eventually and really big picture I think this is a sign that John Dorsey looks at this team that went seven eight and one last year and did some good things offensively, and he's not going to be happy with just, let's bring everybody back and run this thing back. Freddie Kitchen said it in his introductory presser, 7-8-1 isn't good enough. They're going to be aggressive, and they're going to bring in competition, and if you're whomever, if you're Rashard Higgins, who maybe signs back, or let's say Brashad Perryman comes back, or even Jarvis Landry, someone like that, there's going to be guys coming in who are going to try and take your job. And maybe those guys are up and coming. Maybe those guys are established free, big money free agents. Mm-hmm. John Dorsey's not going to hesitate to add talented players to this roster and, and continue to make this offense better. I mean, can you imagine a, a backfield that features Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt? I mean, John Dorsey's here to bring the Browns uh, to, a, to a Super Bowl, and not only just get there, but to win it. He wants to win Super Bowls. That's why he's here. That's why everybody on this football team is here right now. That's all they talk about. That's what Baker Mayfield talks about. That's what Jarvis Landry talks about. That's what they are all about right now. That's what Freddie Kitchens is discussing. 
winning a Super Bowl. You think Kareem Hunt can help you do that? I think he can. And not only that, John Dorsey drafted him in Kansas City, so he knows better than anybody what this guy is absolutely all about. So, yeah, this is about winning if and only if they can make him be a, a good human being and citizen off the field. Yeah. So, look, this is a really complicated issue. Um, like I said, I think it puts I, th- I think it puts a lot of fans in, compl- in a complicated position because when Kareem Hunt does get on the field, we know what he can do. Um, you're going to be sitting in the stands, and he's going to score a touchdown, and it's going to feel awfully conflicting for, for Browns fans. And, you know, honestly, I think for, for some of us at the media, too, it's going to feel very conflicting kind of covering the football side of this and also the personal side of this. Um, it's, it's a complicated thing, but this is the decision that the Browns made. They decided to bring in Kareem Hunt, and, you know, they, they've got to live with the consequences of that, too. One element of this that we haven't really discussed and that I didn't really get an opportunity or I kind of forgot to ask John Dorsey about yesterday uh, was just what kind of a distraction is this going to be for a football team that is ready to get to the next level? Okay, everybody expects the Browns, uh, you're hearing from everywhere now that they're going to be favored to win the AFC North and all this stuff. So what kind of distraction is this going to be for a new head coach a whole entire new staff uh, that that are you know trying to really win big this year. So that's one of the things that that we'll probably ask him at the combine coming up in a couple of weeks, and one of the things that they're going to have to address because everywhere they go, once he gets back on the field, it's going to be Kareem Hunt stories everywhere they go. Press conferences are going to be about Kareem Hunt. It's going to be when's he coming back? Uh, he's got two more weeks. I mean, it's go- he's going to be a huge part of the Cleveland Browns narrative in 2019. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's a great thing to bring up because Freddie Kitchens has never been a head coach before. Right. This is his first time running an entire locker room. Um, so there's going to be a lot of a lot of things that this could open up. You know, what happens if somebody in that locker room does something like this? Mm-hmm. Do you just cut them, but then you sign Kareem? I mean, it can get complicated if, if something like that happens. Um, of course, like you mentioned, it's going to be a little bit of a distraction that he's going to have to handle. And it's important to remember, this is, for the most part, still a very young football team mm-hmm. that has never had a target on their back. Right. And has, really hasn't done anything in this league yet. Now, there's guys, you know, there's veterans in that room. But these guys have never gone through a season where they aren't an afterthought for a lot of these young guys. They're going to have a target now, and, and they're going to be in the national spotlight a lot of some Monday night games, Sunday night games, and they're going to have to deal with all of that. And not only that, he's not the only uh, person that John Dorsey has added to the team that comes with some baggage. There are other young players that are, you know, that have some things that they're trying to work through and overcome. And I think you do have to kind of be careful and pick your spots with, you know, how many guys with, with issues that you add to your football team. I don't think they have overdone it yet. We have to see, obviously, how things are going to go with with Kareem Hunt. But you've got Antonio Callaway, who you know came in with a significant amount of baggage. You've got Desmond Harrison, who came in with some baggage, and there are other guys as well. So I, I think that's one of the things to look at is you know you have to be careful about having too many guys that need to be not I don't want to say babysat, but watched over, monitored a lot and are sort of going to be high-maintenance guys. Yeah, so we'll see how this all plays out, of course, uh, and we'll talk about it all, see- all season long here. Mm-hmm. 
on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Scott Patsko was unable to be with us today, uh, so we'll, we'll make sure we bring him back uh, for our next one here. Uh, our thanks to Sibling Revelry Brewing for sponsoring us, as always. Uh, I'm not sure when we're going to get if we'll get another one of these in this week, but we'll try and come back next week and uh, and get you another Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Thanks to all of you for listening. For Mary Kay Cabot, I'm Dan Lovell.